This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. This is Case Closed, your weekly hour of old-time radio crime, which you can find every Wednesday at relicradio.com. Our first story this week comes from Mr. District Attorney. We'll hear The Vanishing Runner, their story from December 28, 1952. After that, it's Danger with Granger in a story from 1956 titled The Missing Necklace. Mr. District Attorney, starring David Bryan. Mr. District Attorney, champion of the people, defender of truth, guardian of our fundamental rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it shall be my duty as district attorney not only to prosecute to the limit of the law all persons accused of crimes perpetrated within this county, but to defend with equal vigor the rights and privileges of all its citizens. This is David Bryan. In a moment, we'll bring you another case from the files of Mr. District Attorney. But first, a word from our sponsor. And now, here is our star, David Bryan, as Paul Garrett, Mr. District Attorney. A district attorney must see people through different eyes than others. The man who passes on the street may be a criminal, one for prosecution. Or he may be an innocent man who will one day find himself enmeshed in the law by a chain of circumstance. To tell them apart is the function of justice. This case started on a lonely road on the outskirts of town. How is he, Francine? He's still out, Rocky. You hit him awful hard. Well, what'd you expect for 93000 A love tap? Well, he isn't just another gambler who can't go to the law. He's an important man. He'll make trouble. Yeah. Well, who? An undertaker? Rocky, you're not gonna... Yeah, I'm gonna. What do you want me to do? Wake him up, tell him I'm sorry, give the dough back to him? Well, he won it. Suckers ain't supposed to win. I run that game for me to win, one way or another. Yeah, this place is as good as any. Rocky, I'm scared. Oh, you just shut your mouth and help me get him out, will you? Rocky, please. So help me, Francie. One more bleed out of you and I'll shove the muzzle of this gun down your throat and pull the trigger. Now, you're going to help me get him out or you want me to drag you out with him? Don't, don't hurt me, Rocky. I'll help you. Oh, that's better. Come on. That's it. That's better. All right. Hey, you hear anything coming? How could I hear anything in this rain? That's good. Nobody else will hear anything either. Well, goodbye, Mr. Ferguson. Too bad you got so lucky. In here, Ryan. 
Now we should tell me what this is all about, Mr. Harrington. District attorney will tell you. Morning, Miss Miller. Morning, Harrington. Chief in? Yes? This is Joe Ryan, the cab driver we've been looking for. And you better tell him. Yes, Miss Miller. Harrington's here, Mr. Garrett. He has a Joe Ryan with him. I'll send him in. Yes, sir. All right. Through here, Ryan. You've been a little difficult to find, Mr. Ryan. We've been looking for you for four days. I didn't know that until this morning. Are you in the habit of taking four-day vacations from driving your cab? No, sir. I took the time off because I've been looking for a good buy and a new cab. Why didn't you register a change of address with the Motor Vehicle Bureau when you moved a couple of months ago? I forgot, that's all. Well, you know that's a violation, don't you? Yes, sir, but... Look, is that why you picked me up? No, that isn't why. Four nights ago, Ryan, just before you took this unusual vacation, you picked up a fare outside the Chelsea Club. Just a few minutes before midnight, remember? Ah, so that's it. What did you expect it to be? Story of the murder's been in all the papers. I know it. You picked up a fare who was found murdered the next morning, and you know about it. But you don't get in touch with the police. Why? Why should I? I don't know nothing about it. I picked a man up and I drove him home. His body was found out on Pendleton Road. What's that got to do with me? I took him home. Look... If you think I had anything to do with this, you're sending your dogs on the wrong trail. Are we? Do you know we impounded your cab at the garage? No, I didn't know it. I haven't been near the garage. Maybe you should have been. Police lab crews gave the cab a going over. This is their report. Like me to read it to you? I'd like anything and help to clear this up, yeah. According to this report, Ryan, there were bloodstains on the back seat and the floor mat of your cab. Type O. The report also states that John Ferguson's blood was type O. Yeah, what's that prove? Lots of people have type O blood. You've been reading up on the subject? I don't have to read up. I was in the medics in the service. I got type O blood myself. You trying to tell us it was your own blood on that back seat? No, a guy got hurt in my cab. When? Why, it, it was the same night I picked Mr. Ferguson up at the Chelsea Club. Look, I've driven Mr. Ferguson lots of times. Yeah, we know. The doorman told us. That's what started us looking for you. Who got hurt in your cab? I don't know who he was. I Can I tell you about it, about how it happened? Well, that's why you're here. All right. Well, it was after I dropped Mr. Ferguson off. I picked up these six guys. They were wearing those hats, you know, uh, the convention that was in town last week. Shriners? Yeah, that's right. Well, there were six of them. And brother, was it raining? They flagged me down. I don't usually take six, but, well... With the weather and everything, I, I packed them in. Then what? Well, like I said, it was raining cats and dogs. They wanted to go to Saverin Plaza. I took the freeway in. Some guy cut in front of me at Montrose Turnoff, and I had to go for the brakes. The road was wet, and I went into a skid. Threw him around a little bit in the back seat. One of the guys in the drop seat bumped something, got a nosebleed. That's it. That's the whole story. Look, you you got to believe me about this. Ryan... Just before he left the Chelsea Club, Howard Ferguson cashed a check for $2,000. That was at midnight. You say you drove him home, but his body is found the next morning out on Pendleton Road without a cent on him. And we find you out shopping for a new cab. And it doesn't look good, Ryan. I don't care how it looks. Where'd you get the money for the new cab? I won it. Won it where? Well, I, I won it a couple of months ago, just before I moved. That's where I got the dough to move. Well, what do you mean by one? Oh, the guys around the garage. We used to play the numbers. You know, the numbers racket. And you won. Yes, I won. Then you won in a million in that sucker racket. I know it, but 
That's where I got the dough. I spent part of it moving, and I was holding the rest until now to buy a new cab when the new models came out. They came out the day before yesterday. Uh-huh. That's where the dough come from. Honest it is. Okay. Then there's only one other thing you have to tell us about. Who sold you the numbers? A guy named Willie Lamont. Where can we find him? I, 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 don't, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, he, he hasn't been around the garage in a couple of months. All of a sudden, he, he just stopped coming around. Can any of the other cab drivers verify that you won that money? No. No, I, 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 I never told any of them. Ryan, your story is pretty thin. You can prove the part about the blood, can't you? Find the six guys I picked up. Almost 40,000 of them come in for the convention from every state in the country. The convention ended yesterday. Our chances of finding them might have been good while they were still in town. Yeah, but we couldn't find you until this morning. And you didn't come in on your own. I swear to you, I took Ferguson home. Then how did this body get out on the Pendleton Road? Wait. Wait a minute. I just remembered something. You better remember for your own good. What is it, Ryan? Uh, wait a minute. It, when I took him home, there, there's a big circular driveway at his place. Well, there was a car in front of the house when I let him out. I, I passed right next to it. Mm-hmm. It, there, there was a couple of people in the car. It was a limousine. Why didn't you mention this before? Well, I, I didn't think of it. I figured they were waiting to get into the house. You didn't wait to find out? No, I collect them a fair and blue. Ryan, nobody saw that car except you. Servants didn't see anything. They didn't even hear your cab, Ryan. It was raining so hard, the rain kept them from hearing. Now, that could be one explanation. What other explanation could there be? The one that all the evidence seems to point to. Ryan, you never took Ferguson home. This is a frame. Take it easy. It's a frame. Mr. Ferguson was a big shot, so you got to pin this on somebody in a hurry. And I'm the patsy, ain't I? It's a frame, ain't it? No matter what I tell you. Everything you said will be checked, Ryan. Every single point. If you're innocent, I want to know it. I have no choice but to hold you. I know. Take him over to the county jail and book him, Harrington. Then come back and meet me in the record room. Okay, Chief. Come on, Ryan. Miss Miller? Yes, Mr. Guest. Call the county sheriff's office. Vice squad detail. Ask for Sergeant Payne. Sergeant Payne? Yes, sir. Tell him I'd like him to come over and meet me in the record bureau. Yes, sir. Hi, right, Chief. Had Ryan booked all right? Yep. Well, what'd you think of his story? Weak, but it has possibilities. Like what? This, for instance. There's a petty gambler named Willie Lamond. Three times arrested as a runner for various bookies. Always the same charge. Taking bets on the numbers record. Yeah, but those arrests are all dated before you convinced the state legislature that gambling ought to be a felony. He's probably been more careful since then. Gamblers are hard to put out of business. No regular joints operating. No, but there are floating places. And runners like Willie Lamond picking up bets. Well, can't be much of it. More than you think. I've had somebody on the sheriff's vice squad working on a report. Oh, who? Young sergeant. His name is Ed Payne. He's on his way over now. I thought he might be able to give us some information on Willie Lamont. Look, couldn't I have handled this gambling report? You're too well known to the professionals, Harrington. I need a young man who could work right in with them undercover. Payne's well qualified, fresh out of army intelligence and a comparative stranger in town. Oh. Ah, don't worry. You'll be there when we have a complete report and the time comes from the crackdown. Uh... Chief, even if we do find this Willie Lamont, he's not going to stick his neck out to help Ryan. He won't admit taking that bet. We'll have to find a way to make him admit it. 
Without Lamont's testimony, Ryan will be a cinch for conviction. He... Oh, Chief, there's a fellow over there looking around. Oh, that's Ed Payne. Over here, Sergeant. Hi, Mr. Garrett. The secretary said you wanted to see me. Yes. Sergeant Payne, this is my assistant, Harrington. Hello, Sergeant. Glad to know you. I heard a lot about you. There's somebody else I hope you've heard a lot about, Payne. A bookmaker's runner named Willie Lamont. He's still operating? Uh-huh. Left town a couple of months ago. Went to Chicago. No, oh, that's rough. It's all right. We can extradite him if we have to. That might not be too easy, Mr. Garrett. Why not? There's been some talk about him since he's been gone. They say he got ambitious in Chicago. Word got around that he was holding out some bets on his new boss. And also slipping in a phony winner or two to turn himself a dishonest dollar. The boss got wise to it. You mean Lamont is on the run again? I need him badly as a witness. Mr. Garrett, you know how the mobs are. If you want my opinion, Willie Lamont isn't on the run. He's standing still. Somewhere on the bottom of Lake Michigan, wearing a pair of cement shoes. This is David Bryan. Before we continue with Mr. District Attorney in the case of the vanishing runner, here is an important message from my sponsor. And now back to David Bryan, starring as Paul Garrett, Mr. District Attorney. A prominent citizen had been murdered, and a cab driver surrounded by a mesh of circumstantial evidence had been taken into custody. We needed a small-time gambler to verify the cab driver's alibi, but the underworld grapevine indicated that the only possible witness was dead. For two days, I had Harrington and Sergeant Payne of the Sheriff's Vice Squad check on every possible source of additional information. Haven't you been able to locate Harrington yet, Miss Miller? Yes, sir. Uh, basement garage called. He just drove in. He's on his way up now. Oh. You don't look well today. Well, I had to get a grand jury indictment against Ryan this morning. It isn't a very pleasant prospect. Well, it's not your... Oh, well, here's Harrington now. Yeah, sorry it's gone so long, Chief. But I ran into some pretty funny things. What? It's Howard Ferguson was having an awful lot of trouble before he was killed. And what kind of trouble? Well, believe it or not, financial Howard Ferguson? Yeah, that's right. Yes. Here's a complete rundown. He was draining money away from his business investments and putting it into his personal account, stalling his creditors. A few of them even had him on a COD basis. And a couple of other things, too. He was a... Oh, co- excuse me. Am I interrupting? No, it's all right, Payne. Come in. Answer just came in from Chicago. No line on Willie Lamont. Well, I guess the scuttlebutt you heard was right, then. Go ahead, Harrington. That uh, $2,000 check wasn't unusual. Ferguson had been cashing checks for that amount or more a couple of nights a week. What would he need it for? Only one thing I can think of, Mr. Garrett. Gambling? Only kind of business I can think of where a lot of money changes hands in the middle of the night. Payne, when players go to one of these floating games you've been looking into, how are they notified where the game is going to be held? They aren't notified. A slip-up could lead to a raid. They don't tell the customers where to go. They come and pick them up in a limousine. Limousine? Chief, Ryan said there was a limousine parked in Ferguson's driveway the night he drove them home. 
Gamblers wouldn't have killed Ferguson for $2,000, though. They had an easier way to take the money away from him. Unless he won. Yes. If a man got lucky in a big money game, he might win fifty or 100000 with a hot pair of dice. That's enough for a killing. No, I'm not in, Miss Miller. Yes, sir. Hello? It's the Holloway Bank and Trust for Harrington. Oh, that's Ferguson's bank, Chief. They were checking something for me. Oh, I better take him. Hello? Miss Harrington? Yep. Uh, what's that name again? Uh, no, no. Trace name. Spell it. F, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I got it. Thanks. Thanks, Miss Miller. Ferguson had been writing some other big checks made out to cash, in addition to the one he cashed at the Chelsea Club. The bank says the others were endorsed by a Francine DeVoe. Francine DeVoe. Uh, Mr. Garrick, can I call the record room for a minute? Go ahead. Get it for him, Miss Miller. You got a match, Payne? Yes, sir. Oh, thanks. I'm sure will. Record room? Just a second. Thanks. Hello, Mike. Ed Payne. You still got that Willie Lamont fold you pulled for me? No, his wife's maiden name. Yeah, Mike, plenty. Thanks a lot. That's something, Mr. Garrett. Francine DeVoe, alias Francine Lamond. She was Willie Lamond's wife. I heard about it when I was trying to get a rundown on Lamond. How come she didn't go to Chicago with him? She divorced Willie a couple of years ago. Started to run around with the big-time gamblers, working for boys like Rocky Jessup. Well, what do you mean by working for them? Bait. A shill. Stirring suckers to their games. Men like Ferguson? He cashed an awful lot of checks. Can you find out where Rocky Jessup is holding his next game? No, well, I could find out, but I couldn't get in. Why not? You've been making contact. Yeah, as a small-time gambler. I've never flashed the kind of money they're interested in. And if I did flash it all of a sudden, they might get curious. Well, suppose you called up and said you had a wealthy customer, somebody you'd steer to the game for a percentage. Yeah, that could work. But who? You or Harrington, they might know. How about me? Oh, uh, please. No, no, wait a minute, Harrington. How about it, Payne? No, could be good. Wealthy young woman from out of town looking for kicks? Hey, I was only joking, Mr. Garrett. I... Well, I wasn't. I'd be scared silly. They won't try anything inside the place. There'll be other people. Anything they do will be outside. And when you come outside, we'll be waiting. But I won't know how to act or what to say. Oh, or... we'll tell you. But first, take this. A hundred dollars? What would Go I... Go to a costume rental place. Run an evening gown, the best they have, and a fur wrap. Buy some good-looking costume jewelry. You drive it, Harrington. But... Come on, Cinderella. You know what I want you to do, don't you, Payne? I... I think so. After we get in, ask questions. Make them suspect I'm a cop. That's right. Maybe if you tip your hand, they'll tip theirs. Now call Rocky Jessup and arrange for the pickup. Scared, Payne. Do you like a little action, huh, Miss Miller? Yes, I... I think gambling's very exciting. Well, I run a good game. You'll like it. What's your poison? I beg your pardon? I can't hear you too well back here. No, I, I said, uh, what do you like? Wheel, bones, baseboard? Roulette, Rocky. 
She likes the wheel. Oh, good, good. You'll be happy that Payne suggested my place to you. Payne tells me I'm from out of town. Yeah, that's right. Cleveland. Uh-huh. Family and business there? Yes, they have a, a chain of grocery stores. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> People gotta eat. Yeah. Huh? I said that's right, Mr. Jessup. Yeah. Oh, just call me Rocky, huh? But don't let the name fool you. I'm really a soft guy. Payne will tell you. <laughs> Rocky's tops, Miss Miller. I don't see any particular car following us, Payne. The working relays on the radio car set up. One turns off, another one turns in behind us. You say something, Payne? Uh, uh, just telling Miss Miller about the percentages in the game. <laughs> Odds, law of averages. Yeah, yeah. You want to listen to him, Miss Miller. This boy knows the score. <laughs> you might make a killing tonight. Well, here we are. <laughs> Target for tonight. Well, what, what kind of a place is this? Oh, don't be scared. This is just an abandoned airplane hangar. Used to be an airfield here and a flying school. No use letting the building go to waste, huh? <laughs> you sure know how to pick the spots, Rocky. Yeah, you sure know how to pick the dolls. <laughs> well, come on, Miss Miller. <laughs> Thinking you're liable to cost me some money tonight. Nobody's going to be looking at the dice with you around. <laughs> Got to be careful, you know. All right, go ahead now, folks. Dark. Well, it'll be light as soon as we get through the other door. Oh, don't be afraid. Come on. Hey, looks a little better than you thought, huh, Miss Miller? It's surprising. Well, all my customers go first class. Uh, Francine? I'll be there in a second. All righty. Francine's her hostess. She'll tell you where the action is. Oh, uh, Francie. This is Miss Miller. She's from Cleveland. Friend of Payne's. You know Payne, don't you? I've seen him around. Francine. My uncle mentioned meeting a Francine the last time he was here on a visit. He likes to gamble, too. Is that so? What's your uncle's name? Miller. Same as mine. Robert Miller. I don't remember him. It could have been another Francine, of course, but... Well, it is an unusual name. How long ago? Just about a, a week ago. Yes, just the night before he came back to Cleveland. I didn't run no game last week. Uncle Bob said the game was in uh, some kind of an old restaurant on uh, uh, Pendleton Road, something like that. No, uh, Pendleton Road. That wouldn't be our game. Would it, Rocky? No, 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 not out there. Must have been somebody else, Miss Miller. No, he said fancy. He said it was raining like blazes. Oh, yes. And some man won a lot of money. Practically broke the game. Uncle Bob was standing right next to him. His name, uh, his name was Ferguson. Your uncle tells you things in detail, doesn't he? Uh, you better, uh, you better show me what refreshments we got, Francine. Payne and the lady can just drift around look things over. Okay, Payne? Oh, sure. Come on, Miss Miller. I'll show you the dice table. I thought that same Mr. Ferguson might be here, and he was. I bet the way he's there. I sure don't like this, Francie. Neither do I. Why didn't you tell me Payne was coming? Why? Because he's the one who's been nosing around asking questions about Willie. Well, we had nothing to do with what happened to Willie. No, but we did with Ferguson, and he was asking questions like a cop. Yeah. Why would a cop steer a rich dame here? Rich dame nothing. Huh? Did you see the label in that fur jacket she's dragging around? No. Madame Pompadour Costume Rentals. Get him over to the door. Well, I... Do like I tell you. 
They gotta get rid of him tonight and blow town, but fast. Now go ahead. Um, Miss Miller. Oh, we were just watching. Uh, there's a there's a much bigger game in another room around the side of the building. Rocky thought you and Mr. Payne would rather go in there. Uh, which way? Well, we have to go outside first and then around. Well, that sounds interesting, Miss Miller. Yeah. Oh, that dark place again. It's only for a second. All right, cop. You and this time, outside to the car. And no funny moves or I got a hole in my pocket and you got a hole in your back. Do what they say, Miss Miller. Where are you going to take us? Same place we took Ferguson. And we're going to leave you the same way. I wouldn't count on that. But Rocky. Rocky. You're covered every way. Don't move. You dead. Hey, down, Miss Miller. Oh, don't. Don't kill me. He's dead. Don't kill me. Don't. Let me help you, Miss Miller. Oh, thanks. How is he, honey? Rocky, he's not dead. He'll live to stand trial. Well, I, I'll testify. I'll make a deal with you. We don't need any deals, thank you. Take him in, Harrington. Payne? Right, Chief. Yes, Mr. Gary. Round up that crowd inside. They can do their gambling in a cell for the night. Come on, Miss Miller. I'll drive you home. Thank you. You're shaking. You scared? Oh, Mr. Garrett, I just kept thinking when they were shooting, what could I ever tell the Madame Pompadour costume company if I brought back this fur jacket with a bullet hole in it? <laughs> what? <laughs> Miss Miller, if I didn't hear it, I wouldn't believe it. Oh, I shouldn't have expected a man to understand. <laughs> this is David Bryan. I hope you enjoy this case from the files of Mr. District Attorney. I'll be back in just a moment after this message from our sponsor. Here's the star of Mr. District Attorney, David Bryan, with a word about the program you have just heard. Rocky Jessup was tried and convicted on a charge of murder in the first degree. The death penalty was mandatory. His accomplice, Francine DeVoe, alias Francine Lamont, was sentenced to the woman's prison for 15 years. Now, this is David Bryan inviting you to join us when we present our next case based on the facts of crime from the file of Mr. District Attorney. Mr. District Attorney was originated by Phillips H. Lord.
Edgar, what in the world's the matter with you? One moment you're driving like a madman, the next you're literally crawling. I was making sure of something, Norma. Making sure of what? We're being followed. Followed? By whom? It's a dark green sedan. Been following us for the past 15 minutes. It's so desolate out here. Drive faster. Right. That green sedan staying right behind us. What in the world? Brace yourself. It looks like they might try to run us off the road. Peter, look out! That man has a gun. Who are you? You're in the hospital, Mrs. Hartnett. You had a nasty crack-up. My brother, Peter. Did he hurt? I don't know whether I should. He's dead? Yes. Oh, no. The uh, police are waiting outside. As soon as you can answer some questions, they'll want to talk with you. All I know is that a car ran us off the road. The man in the car shot Peter. The police who want to hear your story in full, Mrs. Hartman. All right. I'll just get her. Just a minute. My necklace. What happened to it? Necklace? You didn't see it? A diamond necklace? You wore no necklace when you were brought in here. Was it valuable? It was valued at $30,000. This is Steve Granger, private detective with a story about a missing necklace, a dead man, and a green sedan. In just a moment, I'll take you back to one of my most interesting cases. This is Granger. The story started for me with a visit from a woman, good-looking and smartly dressed, but worried and nervous. She introduced herself as Norma Hartnett, wife of David Hartnett, whose name I know as a well-known theatrical producer. Mr. Granger, did you read about my accident in which my brother was shot and killed? Yes, Mrs. Hartnett. That happened up uh, off the Merritt Parkway. That's right. Do you remember that I said a, a diamond necklace I was wearing was stolen while I was unconscious? Yes. Mr. Granger, the necklace wasn't stolen. Oh? My husband David gave it to me. But my brother Peter had been gambling very heavily. He owed a man $3,500. I put up the necklace as collateral against the money Peter owed. There's obviously more. What is it? My husband wrote me a new show on Broadway. One of his backers withdrew. David needed money. He asked me for the necklace. I was driving him from Connecticut to explain what had happened to it when those men ran us off the road. Have you told your husband, Mrs. Hartman? Not the whole truth. I let him think the necklace was stolen when Peter was shot. He doesn't know I've come here to see you. I need your help, Mr. Granger, desperately. You just want the necklace back, is that it? Yes. It's being held by a man named Ricky Temple. I know him. He runs a floating crap game. Yes. Peter was to testify against him in the gambling probe. You will help me, won't you, Mr. Granger? Mrs. Hartnett, you've got yourself a boy. Norma Hartnett gave me a New York address. One of the local hostelries went on a wait. I put out a few feelers for Ricky Temple and got nowhere. He dropped out of sight. I decided on an interview with Cal Hendricks. He was a newspaper man, and if anybody could give me a lead, I felt he could. 
What in the world do you want with a shifty character like Ricky Tempted? I'm hunting a diamond necklace for a client. Well, I'm glad it's business, Steve. But I don't know if I can help you or not. When the gambling probe started a couple of months back, Ricky crawled down a sewer someplace with the other rat. I'm sure he's in New York. Uh, he used to hang around the west side up near Columbus Circle. Well, thanks, Cal. You go ask at some of the places up there. I'll leave your spare change here, will you? I can take care of myself. Don't worry. The last time you came back from a gambling joint, you were wearing a barrel. Never mind. With a belt in the back. I went north towards Columbus Circle. Started asking questions in different small hotels, as well as some of the big ones. It took that afternoon and the better part of the evening. Finally, I got the address of Ricky Temple's latest hideout. What do you want? Ricky Temple? Is he around? Who are you, Buster? I want to see Temple. He's an old friend. Temple ain't got no friends. And say, ain't you Steve Granger? Suppose I am. Blow. We don't want private snoops around. Smells up the joint. I'll teach you to mind your adverbs, mister. Now move aside. I don't think so. All right, Granger. What's the routine for? Came up to see you, Ricky. Your butler hasn't learned his manners yet. He was told to keep out the characters. You're a character that I'm in. Okay, you're in. How much do you want to keep your mouth zippered? You got the wrong man, Ricky. I'm not up here looking for a quick buck. I'll spit it out, then I'm busy inside. I'll take $30,000 worth of diamond necklace that belongs to Mrs. David Hartnett. Don't be silly, Granger. You've got it. She wants it. Good night, Snoop. The door is open and I just ran out of time. There's a killing mixed up in this, Ricky. No, there isn't. You haven't read the papers. Mrs. Hartnett's brother was shot and killed. When the police find out about that necklace, they're going to get inquisitive about you. You sure about this? Would I be here if I were kidding? There's a paper I picked up. Take a look. Sammy, beat it. Okay. Inside, what's the game? Be sure I get my percentage. Right. Come inside and shut the door. I'm invited to stay a while, huh? I just want you to get something clear in your mind. I have not got the necklace. That puts you on a spot. Suppose I pull out 3,500 clams and ask you to hand it over. Well, come on, Ricky. Tell me the rest of the story. What happened to the necklace? I... I don't think I'll say any more. Let Mrs. Hartnett come over. I'll talk to her. You'll talk to me or I'll get police headquarters on the phone. I'll tip them two ways. One about the necklace, second about this game you're running. You'd spill, huh? I would. When there's 30 grand worth of ice concerned, plus a killing. Uh, maybe, maybe I ought to call my mouthpiece. He'd know what to do. Cut the chatter. You haven't got a lawyer and you know it. Look. Granger, I don't know what to play, you see. But I, I got a couple details. Maybe they'll help you get back the necklace, huh? I'd better get it back. Or you and I will tangle with a cop looking on. Okay. Okay, I, I'll tell you what I know. Now, you, you see, the will... Hey, yo, hold it! I'll continue with this interesting story in a minute.
As the door opened and the two shots reverberated through the room, Ricky Temple dropped to the floor. I snapped a fast shot at the figure in the doorway, saw him clutch at his shoulder, and then beat it. I tried to head after him, but was stopped by Ricky's offside Sammy. By the time I persuaded him to let me go and to call the cops, the customers in the other room had vanished quicker than snowflakes in a heat wave. Then the police arrived with Lieutenant Mike Harding in charge. Well, Gumshoe, mixed up in another shooting, huh? Yeah, Harding. Who is he? Ricky Temple. He'll never be missed. I suppose you start talking about now. I told Harding what I knew about the killing. One of his men found a gun, which had been dropped in the hall. Well, that's something, I guess. I'll have ballistics go over the gun for prints. Yeah. I'll check with you later in the day, Mike. Where'll you be? In my office. Or at Cal Hendricks' place. Okay, Granger. You'll hear from me. Well, this is flattering, Steve. Two visits in one day. It's not your hardened visage I'm interested in. You know David Hartnett, the theatrical producer? Is he the one who owned the missing diamond necklace? He bought it for his wife. I found Ricky Temple, by the way. Ah, I find out anything? He just started to open up for me when somebody cooled him. Harding is taking his body down to the morgue. Seems to me that Temple was fronting for someone. He must have had a boss. Name on, McHendricks. Harold Dixon. Dixon, huh? Didn't occur to me he'd have a finger in this pie. More than one finger, I imagine. Hmm. Yeah, I just can't browse over to his spot and accuse him of being in with Ricky Temple. Oh, no. Excuse me. Hendricks speaking. This is Harding, homicide. Is Steve Granger around there, Hendricks? Yeah. Yeah, Harding down at headquarters. Thanks. Hello. Now, Granger. The lab man checked that gun and came up with something. What? The gun was registered to a hood named Nick Ferrelli. You know him? No. He works for Harold Dixon. We've got out a pickup on Ferrelli. Thanks, Harding. I'll check you later. So long. What goes, Steve? You were right about Harold Dixon. Uh-huh. I'd give four to one. It involves more than 3,500 bucks. <laughs> I left Cal, dug Mrs. David Hartnett's address out of a coat pocket, hailed a cab, and went over. She greeted me at the door. Mr. Granger. Mrs. Hartnett, have you ever met a man named Harold Dixon? Very frequently. In what way? Social? Not exactly. He happens to be a partner in my husband's current enterprise. How much does he have to say about what your husband does, show-wise, that is? Quite a lot. Since the other backers quit, Mr. Dixon almost controls the whole thing. Has he and your husband uh, been having any trouble? Not exactly trouble, no. But he isn't quite satisfied with the show as it is. He, he doesn't feel that it's smooth enough yet to open on Broadway. Uh-huh. Surely you don't think Mr. Dixon's involved in the theft of the necklace? Mrs. Hartnett, I went to see Ricky Temple. He didn't have it. Also, he's a stooge for Dixon. What? Now Temple is down in the morgue. Somebody shot him. Shot him? The gun belongs to a hoodlum named Nick Farrelly, a character who also works for Harold Dixon. You mean Harold Dixon's a crook? Harold Dixon has been an elusive figure in crime for years. He's been connected with big-time gambling, with every shady enterprise in every town of consequence in the country. You don't suppose he's trying to get control of my husband's production? 
Suppose he can keep the show out of town long enough. He can probably fix it so your husband won't be able to get any more backing. What happens? But he can't do that. It's it's not legal. But it is, Mrs. Hartnett. It may be chiseling in its worst form, but it's inside the law, way inside. How much of an interest does Dixon have in your husband's show? Fifty percent. In other words, if your husband sold one more share, Dixon would be in control. The pieces were beginning to fall into place, but the picture they were forming wasn't exactly the pleasantest one to contemplate. Harold Dixon was a smart operator, shrewd, smooth, and slippery as an eel dipped in olive oil. I didn't quite know the best way to handle things, but I was sure of one thing. If I didn't handle them right, I could very easily find myself left for dead. In just a moment, I'll bring you the climax of the case. I warned Norma Hartnett not to make any foolish moves until I did more checking up. I wanted first to get a line on where Nick Ferrelli, the owner of the murder weapon, might be hiding out. I phoned Harding at police headquarters, but Ferrelli was holed up as securely as a gopher in sub-zero weather. So I called Cal Hendricks once again. About six months ago, Ferrelli was seen around town with a showgirl from the Mombo Club. Her name is Ruby. Ruby what? I don't know. But the manager of the club could probably get all the dope on her for you. I got a break at the Mambo Club. Ruby still worked there. She lived downtown in a small apartment around the corner from Union Square Park. I got a second break. She was home. Your name is Granger, you say? Yeah. I want to talk to you about Nick Ferrelli. You a cop? No. What do you want? I'd like to meet him, if it's possible. Where? Well, you name it, Ruby. Okay. Be at the Mambo Club at ten tonight. The Mambo Club was like a half a hundred other New York nighteries. The music, the entertainment, the customers were all the same. Even the drinks had the same amount of watering in them. I watched Ruby finish her turn and move over to me. Hiya, Ruby. Hiya. Where's Nick? You didn't tell me what you did for a living earlier today. You're Steve Granger, the private eye. I am. Working for Harold Dixon. What makes you think that? I'm thinking a lot of things. Things I've got to be sure of. What goes? I'm not working for Dixon. Although I'm getting interested in him. Hmm. What's wrong? A lot. Come on, let's get out of here. Nick isn't coming around? We'll go see him. He's at his apartment. Ruby and I grabbed some transportation. In a few minutes, we were standing in front of a brownstone on the Lower East Side. This is it. Right. Hold on a second. Why? You haven't said a word. I don't know what's going to happen inside. You won't get hurt. Just the same, I'll keep this in my pocket with my hand on it. Do it your way. This is Nick's apartment. You got a key, huh? Sure. You first, please. 
This way. Thanks. I want a word. Looks like I'm too late, doesn't it? Granger, I... What do you know about this, Ruby? Nothing, but I knew he was here. When he didn't answer the door, I let myself in and found him. Hmm. Shot once through the heart. Did you move him? Me? Of course not. Tell the police about this. No, I I got scared and came back to the club. And I started thinking about you. I decided to bring you over first. Is there a phone in here? Over there. I'll call homicide. We'll have to stay here. Know anything about Nick's uh, connection was lately? Nothing definite. He's been worried about something. Just a minute. Homicide, please. Harding talking. This is Granger. I found Pirelli for you. Thanks. I want to talk to him. You're a little late. He was murdered in his apartment at 2215 East 9th Street. I'll be right over. Okay. And you stay there, you hear? Okay, okay, I hear. I stayed, and so did Ruby. When Harding showed up, I explained as much as I could for the girl. The homicide man was nice about it. He let her go on her own recognizance. Then he turned to me. Okay, Granger, give me the rest of it. No rest of it. The girl told you what happened. Uh Uh-huh. But I think you'll find that Nick Ferrelli shot and killed Ricky Temple. Yeah. Look at him. The man who shot Ricky got away. But only after I winged him. I distinctly remember seeing him clutch at his right shoulder. And Nick has a wound in that shoulder. Correct. You do nice things for the police department, Granger. Thanks. Nick Ferrelli shot and killed Mrs. Hartnett's brother. He shot and killed Ricky. You found him for us. But I found him dead. I know you were going to say that next. Harding and his crew went to work. I left the apartment and looked for a telephone. One in a booth where I wouldn't be disturbed. I let it ring the ten times the phone company recommends and forgot it. Mrs. David Hartnett was not at home. I was almost sure that Harold Dixon was in back of the killings, but how to tie him in was the real problem. I decided to pay him a visit. He lived, but exclusively, in a house on a quiet west side street. This was it. Mr. Dixon, Harold Dixon. You're Steve Granger. Come on in. I didn't know I'd be that welcome. (laughs) You are, Mr. Granger. You saved me the trouble of having someone look you up. Okay, that's enough. And this is a gun. Please don't move. I'll take this gun of yours, if you don't mind. At this point, I have no choice. Thanks. I understand that you alone are pretty dangerous. With a gun in your pocket, you might become obnoxious. Walk, please. Down the hall, if you will. If I won't. Try it and see. The first door on the right. Go on in. Have a chair, Mr. Granger. You're so generous. Now what? Fast game of cribbage? I'd like you to meet one of your clients. Pardon me. 
I watched Harold Dixon back carefully to a closet door. He turned a key, and when the door swung open, I knew why Mrs. David Hartnett hadn't answered my phone call. You two have met, of course. Mr. Granger, I've been kept prisoner here. Can't you do something? He can, Mrs. Hartnett. He can sit very quietly. Or he can move. One. And no more. You see how it is, Mrs. Hartnett? I have a mouthpiece. But in this case, it doesn't mean a lawyer. Quite right, Mr. Granger. We're being as formal as a U.N. conference, aren't we? Since you're the president pro term, start getting with it. There's not much to get with. I think the police will differ with you, friend. You're gonna happy help a Nick Ferrelli shot Mrs. Hartnett's brother, right? That would be entirely possible. And you've got Mrs. Hartnett's necklace, haven't you? Well, since you're not going to do anything about it, I may as well admit it. I have. And you were supposed to be a friend of David's and mine. The whole thing falls into a very familiar routine, Mrs. Hartnett. You put up your necklace as security for your brother's gambling debt of $3,500. Ricky Temple had it. But Ricky was fronting for Harold Dixon here. Quite correct, Mr. Granger. Dixon had Nick Ferrelli kill your brother... Because he was going to testify against Ricky, who would turn state's evidence against Dixon, which would never do. But why? Because he had your husband in a spot. Since your husband needed extra money and couldn't get the necklace from you to make a loan on it, Harold Dixon stood to take over the show they were both interested in. You're staying very close to the truth, Mr. Granger. So with your brother disposed of, Ricky had to go too. That job was handled by Ferrelli, who was probably killed by Dixon to get him out of the way. I can't believe all this. And now, Mr. Dixon, we'll have to dispose of you, Mrs. Hartnett. And you, Mr. Granger. You want me, boss? Yes, Jigger. I want you to uh, arrange for Mrs. Hartnett and Mr. Granger. Okay, boss. Want I should dump them in the river? I never ask how you do things. Just do them. And you, Dixon, wind up with a half-million-dollar show plus a $30,000 necklace. But what's Mr. Hartnett going to say when he finds out his wife has disappeared? Uh, he's got something there, boss. Uh, could we make it look accidental, like maybe a car accident? Excellent suggestion, Jigger. Oh, excuse me. Uh, Harold Dixon speaking. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, of course, Harding. You may come up any time. I've cooperated with the police for years. Get him out of here quick, Jigger. That was Harding upon his side. He's coming here to ask questions. I want to ask a question, too. Take them out, Jigger, now. Jigger, did you know that your boss, the great Dixon, had Nick Ferrelli kill Ricky Temple? Shut up, Granger. Then to close Nick's mouth, he had you shoot him. You see, Jigger, he knows too much. I can tell you something else, too, Jigger. When you get through disposing of us for Mr. Dixon... That's enough. He'll dispose of you. What are you trying to pull? Take a look at Mr. Dixon, Jigger. Take a good look. Oh, Jigger, don't take me notice. He's just trying to stall till Harding arrives. I don't know, boy. Go on, get those people out of here. Right now, you fool. I'm Harold Dixon, remember? Yeah, Dixon, I remember. I remember some other guys who just don't drop out of sight. Put down that gun. Uh-uh, Dixon. I think we ought to talk first. Put it down or I'll shoot. Try it. I watched the impasse between Harold Dixon and Jigger grow like an unhealthy thing, a thing of fear and hate. Then I got a sudden break. Jigger turned his back to me, facing Dixon completely. I made my move. Let's go, Granger. Let's go. 
I'll be back to wrap up the case in just a minute. I was lucky. Jigger let go his gun in time for me to grab it and snap a shot at Harold Dixon, who fell to the floor, writhing in pain. Mrs. Norma Hartnett stood as still as a pillar of salt. Uh, all right, Jigger. Back up against the wall. Shut up. You. Mrs. Hartnett, snap out of it. You'll be all right. Uh, Mr. Granger. Never mind that. Have you ever been in this place before? Yes. Does Dixon have a wall safe around here? A spot where he might keep your necklace? Over there, behind that picture. Thanks. We'll have the police open it. But we'll never get out of here. Harold Dixon must have a dozen of his men here. That's one of them now. Don't move, Jigger, and don't make a sound. Open up in there! What'll we do? Nothing. Except let them in, Mrs. Hartnett. It's the police. And just like in the storybooks... They've arrived in the nick of time. Steve Granger again. You've just heard one of the most interesting cases in my file. And I'll have another one for you. So be around next time. That's going to do it for Case Closed for this week. You can find more from Mr. District Attorney, Danger with Granger, more from Case Closed, all the other podcasts, and our Shoutcast stream, all at relicradio.com. Don't forget you can support this and all of the shows while you're there. If you'd like to help out, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. Thanks for your support over the years, and thanks for joining me today. Be back next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed. Case Closed.